It's Monday the 22nd of June 2020. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. I'm joined this week by Roof broadcast journalist Birgithor Harrason and by Minister of Finance and Economic Affairs Bjartni Benediktsson. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Now, uh, unlimited strike action by nurses in Iceland was set to begin this morning, but was called off at the last minute following a suggestion from the state mediator late last night. A powerful earthquake swarm has seen the ground shake over 2,000 times and counting in North Iceland this weekend, with a magnitude 5.8 quake yesterday evening and around 70 over magnitude 3 so far. Uh, this Saturday will be polling day in Iceland's presidential election, with the latest centre poll for Fréttabladið this weekend putting the incumbent Gvutni Tjehau Johansson on 92% support. Discussion has continued over the past week on the relationship between academics and politicians, as the finance ministry continued to face questions over why Professor Thorvaldur Gilvason was blocked from editing a pan-Nordic economics journal. The occasion of National Day last Wednesday was used by the Icelandic Environment Minister as an opportunity to introduce a protection order for Geysir and the surrounding geothermal area. The new police mobile border control unit brought into use last month erupted into a full-on debate last week with accusations that it might be being used for racial profiling. And news that domestic spending has picked up again and the biggest one-month property price increase since late 2018 are being seen by some as early signs of economic recovery. So, where should we begin? I think it's uh, fitting that we start with the earthquakes uh, in the North Country. Uh, It has continued this morning with uh, quakes at around and... Uh, over three uh, magnitude. It's quite unusual place for earthquake swarms in Iceland. Mm-hmm. We haven't, uh, at least at this size. And uh, what I find interesting is that the the, uh, the quakes are like the swarm has like stayed in for a few days now, and it continues to be quite large earthquakes. And what are we what are we hearing from people in the north? Are they obviously we haven't heard of any major damage. No one's been hurt, luckily. No. But well, I guess you have to say people are shaken, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, the the true uh, the true danger here is that you have uh, big rocks fall on roads where mm-hmm. people are driving, uh, and that is uh, something to uh, you know take notice of. Uh, so. Um, uh, the police has warned that people should uh, be awake uh, and uh, follow any such uh, possibilities. And the good thing is we know more or less where such risk is uh, evident. Uh, but, um, you know, the first question people ask is, you know, will we see an eruption? And from what we hear from the experts, uh, nothing of that sort is to be expected. So that's, a, that's good news. But still, it's, uh, it's, it gives an uncomfortable feeling and is a reminder, as we regularly get in this country, that uh, we are always a little bit subject to the elements. And uh, luckily now, there has been little damage and uh, no casualties or nothing of that sort. And we don't see uh, anything of that uh, kind uh, coming. So 
That that's that's the good news news for, uh, out of this. But if this is a signal that something might be cooking elsewhere, you know, that's that's always what I am asking myself. Mm-hmm. But even the top scientists in the field are always struggling to to say if that's going to happen or not. We just we just don't know it enough, I guess, do we? No, that's that's true. That's I always true. think geological science are kind of a like guesswork. Uh, people are guessing a lot uh, mm. while doing geological surveys or, or something because you don't really know that much of what what goes on in in Earth, um, and and they have the the scientists have been warning now that there might be coming a a, a much larger larger uh, earthquake in this like swarm, mm-hmm. uh, maybe up un, under seven magnitude. Which is a huge uh, earthquake. Yeah, and that at, would be at, very serious at any scale. But but uh, I, I I can I can agree and and then I could I could uh, disagree because I I'm often surprised at how much they really do know and you know <laughs> they can tell us exactly where it happened yeah, and yeah, at yeah. what depth and uh, all of that. So, uh, but you know it's it's given that uh, there's always uh, an element of surprise when you have the, those things. Mm-hmm. We, we saw that in Reykjanes uh, around the Blue Lagoon in that area, Thorbjörn. Uh, and, you know, just imagine that they could tell us by almost millimeters how much the earth had risen. That was impressive. Mm. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. Uh, but then they couldn't tell us if and when an eruption would happen. Uh, I'm not blaming them for that, of course. <laughs> no. But it's, yeah. Um, is there any, because most of these quakes are happening offshore under the sea, is there any danger of a tsunami or anything, a, a tidal wave? There was a li- uh, there was a, s- a warning that it might happen, but it hasn't happened, and I don't think that's kind that ki- it's not the kind of a quake that will make a tsunami. Good. Well, also, the fjords. My, my law degree is not helping here. You know, <laughs> I, I can't tell about the t- tsunami. <laughs> good. Right. Uh, sounds like a, a good moment to move on now. Um, You've, Bjarni, no doubt been getting bored over the last week or two of this discussion about the the Nordic Journal and uh, Professor Thorvaldur, but it would be a shame to have you on the show and not to mention it at all. Um, first of all, were you surprised or taken aback by how big of a story it became? Because it had a very small route, didn't it? Uh, yes, I, I can agree with that. I, I think it had a small route. Um, you know, I, I take it as an example of a case where... Uh, the media starts uh, reporting on an issue where they don't have the full picture. So to start with, it, it was all about access to information and then the released information, and the story was all about that uh, viewpoint which the relevant information gave. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't say I was surprised that people did not know how we go about in choosing the editor for that journal or who pays for it and why it is published but that all had to come in the second wave and I think that once people realized you know why this journal exists uh, and who is behind it uh, that uh, uh, things did not um, you know I think the matter for many people took another uh, picture or, or it gave another picture of the matter. What about the surprise that was reported among other finance ministries in the Nordic region? Why why were they surprised at this if it's if it's so normal? 
Well, I, I'm not sure if they were very surprised. Um, first of all, uh, nobody has the right to be appointed. Uh, this is an informal platform where we throw in names and we, you know, uh, brainstorm a little bit about who could be the right individual. Mm -hmm. Nobody should be surprised that uh, we have uh, our word, uh, we have our um, suggestions. We had put forward quite a few names. And I can't say that uh, we were taken aback or uh, got disappointed or surprised that our suggestions were rejected. You know, there were a number, there was a number, there was a long list of people that had been mentioned. The, the only surprise to me is that this position was offered to Thorvaldur without his name ever, ever being mentioned to us. And that is absolutely not the way it should work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, OK. Um, has the, has the uh, final decision been made now? Do we know who will be editing the, the journal? Uh, yes, and that is, uh, has been clear for uh, quite a few weeks. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, yeah, I put my hands up there. I didn't read into it enough. Um, uh, uh, yeah, OK. And is it a, is it a time-limited um, position? Is it for a certain number of years? And then uh, it, the, the, it has been uh, a little irregular. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if if you look at when the, when we started this publication, uh, it was immediately after the financial crash. So it was an idea that potentially uh, the finance ministries, where economics are very often also vested, as is the case in Iceland. Mm -hmm. Uh, they could um, benefit from joining forces and making sure that something was published that had to do with policy in the Nordics, so that uh, on policy issues something was being written, written and published. And to that end, it was a little bit of an experiment, mm -hmm. and it has been. Um, this is not a very widely read or distributed uh, journal, uh, however, we we have believed, uh, and we still believe that uh, we seek support from it, and it gives us reason to sit down with our colleagues and discuss different policy issues. Um, th there are a number of issues that are a little special for the Nordics, and uh, we believe we still can benefit from this. So, um, to answer your question, um, the main idea is that the new editor is, you know, maybe sits for around a year, but it has been a little irregular. And what he does basically is to, to attract people to write about the policy issues that we in the finance ministries, in the steering committee, uh, would prefer to have uh, articles on. Mm -hmm. Is it supposed to be critical of policies? It can be that, yeah, definitely. Um, but it's not supposed to be like critical of, of policies in the Nordic countries. Uh, you know, uh, all we are all we are doing is to to try and um, um, spur interest or, or or create discussion on the policy issues that are being uh, worked on in the Nordics. You know, we, we have a lot of economic challenges. You know, if we just look at what we have on our hand today, it's not only about regaining sustainability in public finances. 
but it is more or less about okay what is the most effective way towards sustainability again and talking about sustainability we also need to discuss climate issues you know how should we go about in rearranging all the income systems that we have built up through the years which are more or less only relying on gasoline and import duties on cars that's all changing now we have more and more electric cars hybrid cars so we uh, lower uh, the tariffs when they are imported and they don't go to the pump so we don't get any fuel taxes for the cars so the screaming questions question at the moment is okay what's the what's the future policy for a more stain, more sustainable uh, uh, income system for uh, communication in Iceland. Uh, how how should we tax the usage of the road system? How are we going to finance all of what we need to build for infrastructure in the future? And who's to pay for it? And uh, the old system is rapidly going, you know, out of date. And uh, I have to say, um, I'm a little surprised being the finance minister now that I, I, I haven't found the obvious models for the future elsewhere, not at the OECD, not at the IMF, not in any single European country, not at the European Union. Uh, so I name this as an example of something where we could maybe pull together and say, OK, here's, here's the policy for the future on how to tax cars and how to finance uh, infrastructure. Mm. Bringing it back to the academic side of it, um, regardless of this particular case, what is, in, what is in place to ensure that academics can continue to criticise the government in their work and not face repercussions down the line when it comes to getting positions, non-political but prominent positions like this one? Well, uh, you know, I, I'm still asking myself, where's the example that Thorvaldur Gilvason has, as an academic, uh, criticised uh, this government from an economic standpoint? I, I, you know, I don't know of an example of that. What I do know is he has not been involved in policy work with this government or the last three or four. So he was, in my view, not the obvious choice. Mm -hmm. OK. Should we uh, move on to a different topic? Where should we go next? Um, there was the Border Patrol van got a lot of discussion last week. It's not exactly new news because it's been... It came in in May. It was handed over to the police force and is intended primarily as a as a mobile Border Patrol van for uh, things like when the cruise ships arrive, people getting their passports checked. It doesn't seem particularly controversial on the face of it. But then a, a, an article came out uh, on, on Rov, actually, um, when a police officer said that it was going to be used for, among other things, looking for Albanians and Romanians who were working illegally. And that caused, understandably, quite a storm about racial profiling and, and, and whether or not the police are involved in that. Um, and it has been an interesting conversation, mm -hmm. um, especially the police response to that, which was saying, actually, no, he didn't just say that. He listed off quite a few countries. Mm -hmm. And then people come back again to that and say, well, is that better? If it's not just two yeah. countries, but if it's ten countries, is that better? Yeah, and incidentally, the uh, the next morning or, or maybe two two days later, the uh, the news about the uh, group of Romanians that had broken uh, quarantine 
the, the news broke of 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 that group, uh, which is just a coincidence that he had mentioned Romanians and and that the uh, the nationality of the the group was Romanians. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, I I don't think the uh, the Icelandic police are like racial profiling. It just he just happened to mention these two countries, which was unfortunate, and I I don't think they are targeting that those two countries specifically specifically. No. Potentially, you know, possibly it was um, statistically true that you know from the statistics. Uh, they uh, had uh, had incidences uh, where uh, people from those two countries uh, had been more often involved, uh, but uh, I think it is a little uh, far-fetched to say that uh, there is racial profiling in the poli- Icelandic police. Um, and um, I think uh, the main point here should be that uh, we are an island. Uh, border control is not easy. Uh, true, most people come through Keplavik, but we have a lot of ports, and there are a lot of other ways through all those different ports to uh, access Iceland. And for that purpose, it can be very important for them to have a mobile uh, control unit. The question, of course, is how do you know who to ask in the first place? I think that was where the, ro- the, ra- the racial question came up because it was a question mm-hmm. of stopping people who might be working illegally and might be from any non-Schengen country. Mm-hmm. But how do you know them if you're not just looking at their face and guessing? And, yeah. and that does raise some questions. I mean, I, I, to me, that's also an issue that has connection to should you be in the Schengen area or not? Because one of the big uh, pluses for us being uh, members of Schengen is information sharing. So today's border control is much like today's uh, tax control or any other control of that sort. You know, you you base it on uh, computers and the systems and AI and uh, information sharing. Um, that that's really you know when more or less everything has been computerized. The any irregularities that come up in the computers, they will tell you, you should check here, this is not normal, so why don't you check this individual or that particular container of cargo or whatever it may be, check that tax report, it is not in line with has, what, what we've seen, or it may even be... Um, on, on another certain rule that uh, they are following, or based on information sharing. So uh, I agree. It should never be based simply on uh, where you come from or your race or the color of your skin. Nothing of that sort should be the grounds for stopping people or asking them questions. Mm. And I assume the vehicle does have some of the quite sophisticated computer technology in it because it's 75% funded by um, European money. Um, So presumably there is some... pan-European computer system involved, I don't know. Yeah, I suppose so. But uh, it also comes down to the question, uh, because uh, the police has said that they are going to check and they have, like, uh, there's a new regulation that says that they can, um, like, turn people away. 
but they haven't said on what criteria they are going to base that those like decisions, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, something that we should be asking for, mm-hmm. because because we, if we don't have the criteria, then mm-hmm. it's going to be like a very personal, uh, you know, personal decision for the officer who's going to make that decision. Yeah, I mean, it it can be very sort of uh, inhumane to you know base your decisions or on on statistics but you know just just imagine working on border control without any computers only a passport or something you just look at somebody's face you have to ask him questions there is nothing to base anything on uh and i th- i think uh you know even though there can be difficulties in following what the computer tells you to do uh, I think we've come a, a long way, and I think we are much more sophisticated than we were back in the day, where uh, we there was very little information sharing, and we had very little, but suspicion to base uh, decisions on. Mm-hmm. And it's not an enviable job for the officers officers in in question to make this decision to like decide if this or that person is going to. Is likely to break quarantine or or not uh, go according to the rules. Yeah, the qu- quarantine issue is also, of course, um, a huge issue. Um, it 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 is a serious uh, of offense if if somebody uh, says he will abide to the rules and then doesn't, um, and uh, we should uh, go after anybody who who does that. Um, but uh, the last few days, as we are talking about last week, I, I think was very interesting also for, you know, we, we had the first numbers come in uh, at the airport, uh, the statistics, you know, you, you can ask yourself if they came as a surprise or not. But to me, it showed that it was so important that we took this route that we just didn't just let things loose. But uh have the control there and uh, we are doing the testing uh, one two three a day uh, still it really does matter and over time we will build up data and confidence to take further decisions down the road so i mean we're one week into that testing program now uh, from a government perspective everything seems to be going according to plan ish there's no question of stopping it now no more or less i mean uh, what we have in front of us are other questions such as uh, will we open to third countries as well as we are mostly only working now with the schengen area uh, how far can we go what will others do we are trying to keep that dialogue alive um, it is evident that many european countries are considering for themselves how to move forward whilst uh, whilst for example the Schengen area is calling that uh, people go hand in hand taking the next steps and still I mean what is it 22nd of June uh, there's only a little over a week to go and we still don't know exactly what will happen on the 1st of July in all of that big Schengen area. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I'm referring to what they will do uh, towards uh, the US, South America, Asian countries and others. Uh, Will they uh, put them up uh, as categories where, you know, you got safer countries and less safe countries? Uh, That's something I've heard that 
is being considered, but uh, there is a lot of uncertainty. And also to, with regards to how far we can go without it affecting our relationship with other Schengen countries. That's a good question, because Iceland has done things a little bit differently so far mm. and may continue to do so. I know there's Americans queuing up, for example, wanting to come and visit us, and, mm -hmm. and they're not allowed to at the moment. Yeah, and the American market is going to be very... It's a, it's a huge issue for the, uh, the, the tourist industry, because uh, Americans have been, uh, yeah, the largest, I think, nation that... Uh, comes to Iceland. Yeah, fastest growing in yeah. the last few years. That's true. And uh, but we also need the flights. Yeah, <laughs> we also need the flights, and we also need the uh, to know uh, the the situation in in the Americas is um, worst in South uh, South America right now. This, uh, yesterday was the the largest day in in largest single day in number of of uh, infections. Mm since the start of the pandemic, which is... From hearing that here, from, from our ears, that sounds crazy. But yeah, this, this crisis is nowhere near over in the world. Is there mm. evidence from the last one week since we opened up again um, for foreign tourists coming in from Europe? Have there been many or is it mostly Icelanders returning home? No, there, there are also tourists coming over. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, but not in the same you know, numbers as we had the uh, same time last year. Mm -hmm. Still, I think it is an important step. I think it's a very positive signal. I think uh, all the stories that will go out there uh, will also help us. I think uh, what we saw on CNN front page last week was uh, uh, you know, f f fantastic for Iceland, very good uh, for the reputation of what we've done. Mm. Um, and um, I think also uh, what will be interesting is to see, you know, what lessons did we draw from the last decade of building up a huge uh, tourism sector? I mean, I'm very interested in, you know, of course, seeing that, uh, you know, as valuable of a tourism sector as we can uh, build up in Iceland. But uh, I think so far we have not heard all that much from the sector itself on what we can learn from mistakes that have been made in the last 10 years. Should we potentially not grow as fast as we come back or do we have the infrastructure to take on uh, th those uh, increasing numbers year, year by year? Uh, those sort of things are also uh, waiting for us to, to discuss and uh, deal with. Uh, but personally, I'm you know, hugely uh, optimistic for the tourism sector going forward. You know, it may take two to four years, or even if it would take longer, I'm absolutely sure that uh, we will be a, a big uh, tourist. That we have all we need to attract tourists in, in, in the future. In the short term, it seems that, like you say, some, some foreign tourists are arriving already. Not many, but some. And that's yeah. good for the economy. And Icelanders really seem to be taking this travelling at home thing to heart. I know loads of people that have been out and about and spending money. Yeah. And this is important, isn't it? It is, it is. And, and uh, I just on the weekend, I heard stories from, um, you know, hotel operators saying that uh, they love the Icelandic tourists because uh, they spend more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and people uh, have been in the tourist in, tourism industry have been been clever about this because they've like changed their model 
to be more uh, suited to Icelandic tourists mm. in the country because I think Icelandic people just travel differently than the uh, the foreign tourists. Certainly in Iceland, yeah. yeah. And I, I, one one signal that uh, things are different from from last year, for example, is is the golf courses. They're fully booked. You know, thousands of Icelanders that this time of year would usually be playing golf in Spain or elsewhere in Europe, even in in, in the US, uh, are at home. So uh, all the courses are fully booked. Yeah, and the weather is helping, of course. <laughs> it's been yeah, helping, it's been yeah, bad. true. No. Uh, and uh, of course, golf tourists, without wanting to paint the same brush across them all, they're the higher earners. They're spending more money, presumably, in Spain or at home in Iceland. Um, yeah. Not budget travellers. Could, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, I think that probably means we're just about out of time. Um, but the week in Iceland will be back next Monday, the 29th of June, on roof.as forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, through the Roof app, and your favourite podcast platform. Massive thanks today to my guests Bjarni Benediktsson and Birgit Thor Hardason, and also to Lydia Gretasdottir for running the studio. Now, while the closing song is usually chosen by me, um, when we had the Prime Minister on the show, I asked her to choose the song, and that went really well. So I've unilaterally decided that now it's going to be a rule that the leaders of political parties get to choose the song whenever they come on the week in Iceland. So, uh, Bjarni, which song are we going to hear, and why? Yeah, well... Um... Last year, uh, beginning of July, I, I read the news that uh, Gilberto, famous songwriter, uh, had uh, passed away. So that um, pushed me to uh, pick up some of his songs and I listened to a lot of Bossa Nova music. He was like the founder of that era, Bossa Nova. And uh, so when summer came back this year, I somehow started to lean back towards Bossa Nova music and I've been listening to it now in June and I chose one of his famous songs, Desafinato, which uh, presumably means uh, out of tune because okay. people, when that, um, when the Bossa Nova era started, they said, well, it's for singers that can't sing because they sing, you know, with no power and very calmly. Uh, so his answer to that was partly this song. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for that. Uh, bye for now. Se você disser que eu desafino amor, saiba que isto em mim provoca imensa dor. Só privilegiados têm ouvido igual ao seu. Eu possuo apenas o que Deus me deu. Se você insiste em classificar Meu comportamento diante musical Eu mesmo mentindo devo argumentar Que isto é bossa nova, que isto é muito natural que você não sabe nem sequer presente É que os desafinados também têm coração Fotografei você na minha Rolleiflex Revelou-se a sua enorme ingratidão 
poderá falar assim do meu amor Ele é o maior que você pode encontrar, viu? Você com a sua música esqueceu o principal Que no peito dos desafinados, no fundo do peito bate calado Feito dos desafinados também bate um coração. Thank you. 